welcome to another episode of the Who Dat Jedi podcast. We are the Who Dat Jedi, and this is episode 108. And uh, we're going to be doing a, kind of a retrospective, looking at Book of Boba Fett as a whole. I mean, we went episode by episode, and then we talked with Leslie last week, which that was a fantastic conversation. Um, and so we might kind of we might bounce just some thoughts of how that conversation went just here too. Um, and uh, we got a bunch of bunch of news. Um, bunch of kind of exciting news. Um, so, uh, but first, um, and if insert like spooky ghost music here, if you're, if you listened last week, like at the beginning, something went weird. It was like all of a sudden we heard really loud voices and it was, you know, and we kind of thought that it was, uh, um, coming from Fredo because it was, it was all in Spanish. And it's and, and uh, anyway, it sounded like a Spanish woman like talking um, or you know a woman speaking Spanish, and uh, we kind of figured that maybe it was Fredo's dad listening to the TV and having it cranked up like my dad always did. I'd call him and you know it's like Dad, can you please turn on turn down the TV? <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, we have an update, Fredo. So uh, so funnily, uh, the next day I was asking my aunt to stand with my parents. Hey, yeah, you know, we were kind of mentioning this, you know, they could hear some voices. And I just wanted to know, was that you guys chatting outside? Was that my dad? And uh, she goes, no, your dad was over by the computer, you know, in his office. So it wasn't him. I'm like, were you guys kind of chatting outside in the living room area? No, no, we're over by the kitchen. We're finishing up some, some stuff. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> it's like you know i tell her okay maybe it was a ghost i don't know and she goes oh yeah by the way mentioning that yeah the other day i was i was taking care of something i was i think putting some stuff in the laundry and you know i could feel your my no, my sister your aunt who passed away about 1981 82 uh yeah i could feel her with me and i was just telling her to uh, stop bugging me so might have been a ghost after all she may have had some things to say about you know, star wars i don't know well, she was of the right age. She loved uh, she loved uh, Star Wars. She loved disco. She was a very young woman studying to be a journalist, and then she developed bone cancer and passed away at very not even her thirties. So, well, she may have made it on to the Who Dat Jedi podcast. So, and and we've shouted her out here, you know, for for good juju. Yeah. yeah, there you go. There you she, go. She's yeah. welcome to join at any time. That'd that'd be awesome. That'd make yeah. for one of the best podcasts ever. So, well, I'm not at the I'm not at my folks' place tonight, so I don't expect her to be ringing in. If she does, I'll be like, okay, uh, y'all can finish together. I, I'm running for the hills. Well, they can't follow that poltergeist you. following you around town. <laughs> they can follow you. That, uh-huh. does, that does happen. I, I mean, you know, it's not just the haunted mansion, you know, in Disney World where they say, you know the hitchhiking mm-hmm. ghost that actually does happen. So, um, cool. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to just hope that that was actually, you know, your aunt and we had a paranormal experience and we have it recorded for posterity. Um, so yeah. Um, well, I tell you what, let's, uh, let's start with some, Oh, first of all, uh, a couple, a little bit of saints news. Uh, the, the kicker who was in my wife's English class has been cut. So, uh, Brett Maher is no longer a saint. Um, he's a good. He'll kid. find a job quick. He's a good. He's a good kid. He's got a good family. Uh, that you know, I would think it's really weird when you know somebody who's 
in the business because that would just have to be so very unsettling. Um, you know, it's like, can you, can, can you put down roots anywhere, you know? And that's why when people think, you know, we're going to get rid of Alvin Kamara, it's like, dude's building a house. He wouldn't be building a house if they, if he wasn't pretty much assured he's sticking around. So, um, but anyway, yeah, so we lost, uh, lost Brett Maher. Um, so, and we gained Pete Carmichael as an offensive coordinator. That's kind of interesting. Yep. He's sticking around. So, Hey, you know, my, my, my brother was kind of going like, are we not being too stable stayed and I'm not trying to do anything new. And I'm just like, it has, it's worked. Everybody's kind of happy. So we'll so, see. Okay. So, um, here's a hot take and you can at me on Twitter, but what if Sean Payton was the problem with our lack of offense? What if Sean Payton stymied Pete Carmichael's ideas? And what if the Saints, like, that's why Pete Carmichael was at first like, no, I don't want to be your offensive coordinator because I've been shoved in the corner too much, you know, to heck with you, I'll just do this. And that's why they said, dude, you need to be our offensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. But what if Sean Payton was losing some freshness of ideas? It's happened before, so it's not like beyond the realm of possibility, but I think everybody gives him um, a lot of credit for his track record, which uh, speaks volumes um, pretty much no matter what. Um, he had a good offense until yeah. the very end there. So. And I'm not, I'm not saying that Sean Payton is bad. I'm saying that it happens. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it happens. So anyway, the proof will be in the pudding, so to speak. I mean, if if the team's firing on all cylinders, you know, we'll bring back Jameis Winston, Michael Thomas comes back, Alvin's issues are resolved, is able to take the field and more scoring points like we were in, in our better years. People are going to be quick to go, okay, maybe there was some of that. Winning if we're struggling, everything. yeah, yeah, it, it, success, you know, the, the outcome will determine people's opinions, not uh, how they color them. All right, I hold in my hand trivia questions to get our brains back on Star Wars. Um, and I do want to say Dave is repping his school today. It's not K-State anymore. It's Tulane. So. I now have two schools. I have two. So. I've worked at multiple colleges, though. So, like, if I really want to get technical about it, I could be repping FIU and FAU. And... Hey, watch your language. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> McClunky all that out. Anyway, F you. Yeah. F I you. <laughs> all right. So, well, for that one, I'm giving you this question, Dave. Um, your first. What character signals a Gungan retreat after battle droids destroy their shield? What character signals a Gungan retreat after battle droids destroy their shield? Captain Tarfels? I will give that to you. We've we've talked about this. It's tarples with a tarples yeah. instead of tarples. That's that's all right. Star Wars names actually, because I mean, no, that's different letters. But um, the the bounty hunter, the bounty hunters in Empire Strikes Back, you have Dengar, Boba Fett, IG eighty eight, Bosk, and then you have Zuckus and the droid. What is the droid's name? This is just for what would you say the droid's name was. I don't know. I don't know. No idea. Well, it's it's four 
Forlom. For L O. Oh yeah, Forlom. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so would you? Okay, now that you remember that, would you say it's Forlom or would you say Four L O M? I said Forlom. It's shorter. I always said Forlom too, and all these mm-hmm. all these like newbies are saying Four L O M. So, of course, there's people saying I mean, stands we, for love for love or money. So, I mean, we do say C three P O. We don't, but then we also say three P O. So, yeah, mm. I don't know, but it's always going to be at at everybody. Okay, Fredo, to you. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna read this. <laughs> what threesome decide to stroll into detention block AA twenty three? I saw threesome and I was like, bow, what kind of bow, bow, kind of Star Wars trivia is this? What threesome decide to stroll into detention block AA23? Uh, Han, Luke, and Chewbacca. It is Han, Luke, and Chewbacca. Yep. Total sausage fest. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> of course, it was not until The Force Awakens when we, it was confirmed that Chewbacca was male because that's when Maz Kanata finally used a male pronoun. And I think people just presumed, which is wrong. Yeah. All right. So to me, who loses a vicious duel inside the Senate Rotunda? Is it really vicious? Who loses a vicious duel inside the Senate Rotunda? Well, I'm guessing that is Yoda. Yoda. It is. Mm-hmm. So there we go. And by the way, all right. So, um, well, I'll, t- I'll talk about this in a little bit. Let's get to some news. We got some news, uh, some exciting things happening in the Star Wars land. So, Fredo, hit it. Okay, let's start with the news news that's confirmed and everybody's kind of heard of by now, which is that John Williams will return to Star Wars to write the theme to Obi-Wan Kenobi. So this is from Variety. They're saying that John Williams has written the musical signature for the Continuing Adventures of the character played by Ewan McGregor, airing on Disney Plus beginning May 25th. He recorded it last week, so this would have been a week from uh, last Friday. or excuse me, last Thursday, so probably, what, uh, the week of the 10th. Uh, And with the Los Angeles Orchestra under tight security. So they're calling it a coup because his last theme for a weekly dramatic series was, can you guess? I heard this, actually. It was like back in, oh gosh, it was like Amazing Stories or some crap like that. Yep, yep. Amazing Stories in 1985, although he wrote the two, two uh, themes for PBS series, Masterpiece Theater and Great Performances. And of course, the, he wrote the theme to uh, the Olympic, the Olympic theme. So yeah. the music that you hear during all the Olympic broadcast, that's John Williams. But officially the last TV show he actually wrote a theme for was. So 1985 it's interesting there's been i've heard some people talking about this and like you know saying that it was kind of retcon that you know obi-wan's theme became the force theme you know um and actually i disagree that you know obi-wan in a new hope was the physical representation of the force he was he was not really a I mean, at that point it was just the guy who represented this other you know, spiritual entity. So it makes sense that that music is going to be there. It wasn't his theme music specifically, but it was associated with him, if that makes sense. And so, you know, I'm sure we're going to hear the force theme quite a bit, but you know, for him to get his own theme, that's cool, you know, but 
come on guys know how operatic you know techniques work it's you know it wasn't not every i mean yeah so anyway, i get off my nerdy soapbox there but it's the late motif yeah i mean it was it was the force theme it was um you know and like i said he was what represented the force none of us knew what it was but we could listen to this guy and it could have you know could have been any guy talking about the force it's like maz Kanata talking about the force and you hear the force theme so uh you know anyway i digress it, it made me a little grumpy thing it was a similar situation in the movie solo right where they had a mm-hmm. composer to handle the majority of the film but then they were going to bring in john williams to do a theme and i don't even remember the theme i don't either right i don't either you know like it's, it's it awesome. was a big deal yeah it's but, awesome that he was involved and he's 90 years old you know that's mm-hmm. I, god i want to grow up to be john williams um, but yeah, I'm with you, Dave. I don't remember. I couldn't whistle the solo theme that was yeah. Han Solo's theme. I, you know, anyway, sorry to step on you there. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I mean, that's the whole point is just like, I, not to diminish the man's career. We are all huge John Williams stands. And I think we've talked about this. It's just like when that man passes, it's really going to be affecting for a lot of people. Yeah. And, um, you know, by all means, bring him in for something like this. He feels an attachment to that character and would like to write it. And Cool. Have you ever you seen know? the the video of the, the two like middle school trumpet players playing Star Wars music outside of his house? I don't think I've seen it, but you were talking about it. You need to, you need to watch point. that yeah. on YouTube. It's great. And John Williams comes out of his house and likes talking with him. And, you know, they're because they're just standing out there playing. It's like, man, the balls on those kids. But um, but it was awesome that he didn't like take the hose to him, but actually went out and talked to him about music and stuff like that. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, find it on YouTube. Like I said. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's really good that they're able to get John Williams to come back in and at least be involved in this regard. Uh, I imagine they probably have somebody else doing the majority of the scoring of the music. But you know, in so many ways. The music is so key to the whole experience of Star Wars that you really can't separate it. So the fact that you're bringing him on is good. So here's here's a hot take. Um, Dave, throw it to you because I didn't see you on the parade route, and I told Fredo this. And we're, we're talking with uh, Colesby as well. And I'm not going to give you Colesby's hot take, but I was listening to a podcast that will remain nameless right now. I listened to several podcasts of Star Wars nature. Um, but the comment was made is that John Williams reached his peak in the prequel movies as a composer. No, uh, I, I turned off the podcast at that point because I was that I was like that mad. I was like, I, I really? I mean, you know. And, but then Colesby's hot take was that uh, "Duel of the Fates" was the best Star Wars song written, um, and. I can make, no. you know, the thing is, and it's like the, the podcast was pointing out that there was, you know, you have Duel of the Fates, you have um, Across the Stars, and you have um, whatever. The, Battle of the Heroes. Battle, Battle of the Heroes. Heroes. See, I, and while they may be great standalone pieces of music, um, the prequel music does not speak it does it's not as it's not the connective tissue that holds everything together as it was in the original trilogy you know if you if you take away 
that music. I mean, like if we were to play drop the needle, like when I was in undergrad and say, what movie is this from? I bet we would get a hundred out of a hundred for the original trilogy and the prequels. You'd, we'd probably be about batting 500. Um, cause and that's some of that. Um, I would, I would chalk some of that up to just like his sheer productivity. Um, because like there are a lot of movies in the later stages of his career that he was scoring. And well, I you're was also like, discounting the stuff in the early part of his career. You're discounting Jaws. You're yeah. discounting the you know Midway March. You're discounting, you know, the Raiders. Superman. Of Lost Ark. You're discounting Superman. Yeah. That's, I, I just think he got to a point where he had a particular kind of sound um, by, by the time that the prequels were rolling around it, you you, I've heard sound beats from other scores where I like turn real quick. Like, was that is that a prequel? Um, you know, it's some other random movie, um, but it was scored by John Williams. Um, yeah. So I, I, I'm not gonna go so far as to say like accuse him of like borrowing from himself because like I think some people try to frame it in that way, but I, you know, it was. It, it did get to a point where I felt like he was sort of repetitive in a it, way. It felt like stock music a little bit. Uh, you know, and again, I, I really enjoy his contributions, but like, God, the stuff that he did back in the 80s is just peerless. I mean, it's incredible. It like is. all the way up through like Jurassic Park and yep. Home Alone and, um, I mean, you know. Well, he would get the, into the 2000s with Harry Potter. Yeah, yeah, Harry Potter. Munich. Uh, there you go. I mean, like, Schindler's again. List. I mean, anyway, let's, yeah. Sorry, yeah. I, I didn't mean to take us well, way down so, this rabbit yeah. hole, but Fredo, you made mention of, you know, the way the prequels put together may have lent yeah. some of that. Yeah, because in part, I mean, it's well known that George Lucas was cutting and editing his movies right up until like three weeks. Like, literally, they were having to go give us the master so we can go make prints of this movie. So we can have it out on the release date. So because he was still cutting and chopping and, and slicing the movie, I will, you know, I imagine that that meant okay. I, John Williams didn't have the full complete movie to score the way that he did with the original trilogy. Where at some point he had to got the scenes completed, and then he could score and write music for them. So one of the things I was, I was going to say, what about this hot take, Aaron? I think the sequel trilogy has better music than the prequel trilogy. Um, I, I mean, that's, that's kind of tough because it is so derivative of the original trilogy. Um, I'll put, I'll put race theme. I'll put the liberty for Kylo. I'll put the and, entire music but at the was, end of the last and Jedi. You, and you are, and you are correct mm -hmm. because now, now that you jog my memory, yes, you are correct. That, that, and that's, I said it was derivative of the original trilogy, but it was also going back to those operatic techniques because you did have Ray's theme. You did have Kylo's theme. You did have, you know, again, that connective tissue. Um, it, it seemed like he wrote it in operatic form, whereas the prequels was just kind of music. Good music. I also don't think that he necessarily had a good handle on where George's story was going. Um, other than Obi-Wan versus Anakin. Anakin. Uh, yeah, which everybody knew about, right? But like he knew that, but he didn't probably have a real firm grasp on things. Like you go back and you watch Phantom Menace, and that is a wildly inventive score. But then he recycled a lot of those themes in Attack of the Clones. And again, some of that's probably due to the cutting and the editing um, that Fredo was referencing. 
Um, but some of those themes don't seem to line up in the same way. You know, they're used in different contexts. Um, it's just it's just really kind of an interesting hodgepodge in a way. Um, I like those scores a great deal, but like for anybody to tell me that that that's his peak, I I don't agree. Yeah, that's the reason why I didn't see The Hangover for about six years because somebody said it was the funniest movie since Animal House. And I was like, nope, not going to go watch it. Took me six years well, before I watched it. And it was funny. Not the funniest movie since Animal House. But I just, I mean, yeah, hyperbole does not sit well with me. All right. Well, anyway, sorry. Took us down a rabbit hole. Fredo, what else we got? Uh, so the next bit is actually more rumor than news. But anyway, take it with a grain of salt. Uh, the website DiscussingFilm.net had an exclusive uh, last week stating that they learned that Spider-Man No Way Home director, actually the director of Spider-Man Marvel movies, John Watts, is in talk to direct at least one episode of an upcoming mysteriously announced, unannounced Star Wars series for Disney+. Plus, With plans to begin filming, apparently the working title is Grammar Rodeo, slated to begin the production this summer in L.A., so they have no they have no information who's writing it. Uh, obviously, John Favreau is going to be executive producing it, uh, but they don't know if exactly if this is Ahsoka or if it's another thing or if it's just a whole new project all altogether for Disney Plus. You do know where the uh, net nerds have figured out where Grammar Rodeo came from, right? Where the Simpsons. Bart Bart uses uh he's it because they're gonna t they're gonna go to uh I can't remember the kids are gonna go do something they said we'll tell our parents that we're going to I think Washington D.C. to go to the Grammar Rodeo mm -hmm. so we're going to the Grammar Rodeo yeah I suppose uh, but anyway um, yeah that's what that's what the net nerds like I said are are calling out so it's got to be true you know the funny thing is about uh there seems to be so many disney plus things in the works and i just wonder i sometimes now wonder if it's like hey we need to figure out who's leaking this stuff so let's throw this out there and when somebody says grammar rodeo then we know we got them you know type of a deal um mm -hmm. you know and and it's kind of like casting rumors and stuff like that until i see somebody on screen probably not going to believe it you know but to me it's to me it's interesting just because he's coming off arc you know his the biggest hit of his career i mean spider-man no way home was a the, has been the biggest hit since covid started wrecking everybody's uh, fun in 2020 so the fact that he merely goes from that to that's why it makes a very an episode of star wars that's why to be sorry to be cynical aaron again that's why it makes it a very mm -hmm. easy clickbait article to write because yeah it's the hottest hottest thing so he's obviously got to be doing a star wars thing let's say that so i don't know i mean cool you know tell me what the i'd rather i'd rather quit having code names dropped and just tell me what this you know show's gonna be i'd rather hear about a movie Ooh, got, we got a lot of shows on the on the docket already i'd rather hear about a movie and something concrete too. So, but anyway, which, speaking of speaking of which, I mean, I mean, Aaron has have you you've seen all three Spider-Man movies? Have you? Yes. Okay, so I mean, then Dave has. So, what do you think necessarily about this directing style? 
mean, it's fine. Honestly, I think it's bad. Yeah, exactly. I think like okay. So what jumps out to me about his directing style is I think like he directs character moments very well, but the actiony stuff is a little sloppy, and. It's just like, again, you talk about the CG, the quality of the CGI and, and it's like these assembly line movies. And I don't know how much input that he gets and all of that. It's fine. But when I go back and I watch Spider-Man 2 with Tobey Maguire, those effects hold up. And I love watching those action sequences. Like, I'll watch that movie just for that, even though it's a darn good movie beyond that stuff. It's just like, Yes, I'm in, I'm in it. I can see what's happening. I can follow the movements. It looks semi-realistic. I'm here for this. And so this is a critique of modern filmmakers in general, not just him. But the new Spider-Man movies, like, in that way, I didn't think they excelled. I would, I would just say they were passable. That's just one man's opinion, though. One man with a long list. Reverend. <laughs> a very long list. Yes. Howard Johnson Speaking was of... right about Mr. Johnson being right. <laughs> so uh the other rumor that kinda came out of it came out a couple of weeks ago, but uh they were interviewing um Stellan Skarsgård in Sweden. Uh and they were talking to him actually about the Simpsons and doing voiceover for stuff. Talk about So he started mentioning yeah. So he started mentioning about what his working schedule is going to be like for the rest of the year. So he says, quote, we start with part Dune Part 2 in July, and then in the autumn, it's time for the second season of the Star Wars series Andor. I do not know when they will be start broadcasting it. It's going to take some time so that it does not take too long between season one and season two. Because, yeah, because it's interesting that Andor officially has no release date at all. All has been rumored is that it's somewhere in the fourth quarter of 2022, but they're already looking towards get back in there and start making the show. You know, we're gonna go Andor, Mandalorian season three, and back at it. If the premise is is that Cassian Andor is a rebel spy in the you know time between episode three and episode four, that can go for multiple seasons. I mean, there's endless stories that you can write. You know, mm-hmm. and so I'm. I, I hope this is true. I, I I haven't even seen the first series of season of Andor, and I hope that they this is one that they keep going because I think, you know, and of course there's always the they could have Ahsoka in this one as well. They could even um, have you even have yeah. I mean, there's all sorts of things. Um, but but t- take all the even if those people don't show up, like I said, this is one of those Star Wars series that could go multiple seasons you know so did you name drop thrawn there fredo was it thrawn? well i said i said cat bane but yeah thrawn would be interesting to see there i would think a, so too um it'd be, it'd be a good way to introduce him to people who don't know him from rebels mm-hmm. well see and that's the thing too is that i mean you talk about people don't know you could actually have um agent callus in live yeah you know i mean because we're in that same rebel time frame, time frame. Mm-hmm. um so there's a lot of things that they could do i i, I kind of hope that they don't do that as heavily i mean i've been i've been enjoying the 
the cameos and you know the the familiar faces but again this is one of those where you could if it, if it could look a lot like the star wars i grew up with and be you know just have a couple characters that i really like like k2so and and cassian and throw mon mothma in there every now and again to say hey go do this thing and cool you know and they go yeah. do this thing you know i think i think i'd be good with that too uh, I also am like I'm intrigued by the idea of the potential of throwing these other characters in there because I we always make the comparison to Marvel, right? Because they're owned by the same by the giant mouse. Um, but I think like a lot of the appeal of Marvel for people is that when a new character that they know from the comics is like here they are, you know, and now you've got like this character. Oh my gosh, they're making a She-Hulk movie or Moon Knight, uh, or yeah, Moon Knight TV series or She-Hulk TV series or Black Widow movie or whatever, you know. So it's like if Thrawn were to drop into live action, that would probably geek a lot of people out that it have been would, following but this do you stuff. Think? Do you think if they do, if they because, and I've heard that he is actually has been the rumor that he's going to be kind of the central baddie for all that is to come for the Ahsoka show for the Cassian show. I mean, well, not the Cassian or not the Andor one, but like the, the, um, Mandalorian. Mandalorian stuff like that so that they can have this kind of end game moment type of a deal. But if you put Thrawn in too many places, doesn't he become more of the star Wars baddie than the empire emperor, you know, do you run the risk of him being, you know, like I said, is not, Disney plus is Vader. Well, not, not instead of supporting cast, you know, he becomes the star of, and, and he's, he's not the, big. the emperor is the biggest baddie in star Wars. I wouldn't call it a danger per se. I think like, if you look at like my Marvel example, you had Tony Stark, who was like the lead character, and they they, they just that sort of held form through entire you know decade plus run of those movies. It was Tony Stark, um, and I think like it would be very similar in this case. Like if 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 the plan is for him to be the big bad in the next phase, whatever that phase looks like, if it's the, the Ahsoka show, if it's the Mandalorian, um, if it's, you know, any other material that's um, post return of the Jedi. I mean, it's fine. Fine. Like build them up, build them up as much as you want now, to post, like I, post return of the Jedi. Yes. That's a different, that's kind of a different thing because the emperor's like, Nobody's truly gone, but he's gone. You know, um, he's in Mexico. Yeah, he's in Mexico in the tank. Totally thought you said Mexico. <laughs> there too, he was in Mexico before he went to Mexico. Had to get a margarita on his way. Uh, but I mean, you know, so post post, I, I even thought Rebels. I, I mean, I, I enjoy Thrawn, but even Rebels started to make him out to be the biggest bad guy. So I don't know. Um, but however, if, if the some... only if the only bad guy is only that you ever have is Palpatine, then it gets to be kind of boring. So, I think in some ways Thrawn presents kind of an elegant 
way around because you can't bring him in. You're not bringing back Ian McDermott for this. Oh, I then think that's what I was there. just going to say. If Here's how you satisfy Aaron in this respect is that if you're going to have Thrawn be the big bad guy in like the, the Andor series, then you have like at least one scene where he gets called to the principal's office and Palpatine reminds him who's boss. That's all you well, need. They, That's all you they need. Did, That's they all you did need that in Rebels. Scene. Well, I mean, they did, yeah, he like, said he, he kind of said, "Okay, here, here, Emperor, here's Ezra Brizzer, and yeah. now I'm going to go off to my office." I'm talking about him being called down to the principal's office, and it's like, Thrawn, you're gonna, I'm gonna teach you a lesson here, buddy," and knocks him down a peg, and then lets him off just to remind him who the big dog is. All you need is one scene, and then everything's good. I, I mean, I'd be fine with that. They, that happens in the books. It's. It's yeah. a you know it's a it's a regular occurrence in the books that Palpatine is, is his shadow is over everything, and it's like uh, yeah we all have to mind our p's and q's or else he will murder us. Yeah, um, see that's that, you know that's I mean and it, it could even be it could even be just alluded to like that. It's like mm-hmm. one where it's like you know why you you know try somebody calls the emperor into question or something like that and Fran says no 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 we don't we don't do that you know show that he is afraid of the emperor and then i'm good anyway but anyway we have lots of character potential in this series um due to where it's set and due to the the story that they're trying to tell that we think they're trying to tell i think we could see a lot of different characters pop up in this thing but yeah this dude keeps leaking a bunch of things i think i mean this isn't the first time that he's showed the hand of what's going on with andor but oh well Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, just a last bit of news and a bit of a down kind of sad note. I'll, I'll just extend condolences to the family of Tom Veitch, who was the writer. Did you ever read these, uh, Dave? 1991's Dark Empire. I did not. They were the comic books. Okay, so for those of you who didn't, there were a series of Dark Horse comics from Dark Horse comics called Dark Empire, which is where a lot of the stuff that you think they just came up with recently came out. The idea of Palpatine still being alive, of clone Palpatine, of the back the tanks with all the horrible misshapen uh, clones being formed, you know, of Luke going towards the dark side, you know, a lot of the stuff. And he doesn't just write Dark Empire, he also wrote Tales of the Jedi. He wrote it, there was a number of series in the 90s that he wrote that really influenced, along with the uh, Thrawn trilogy, the burgeoning expanded universe that back in the early 90s so again condolences for his passing but it's it's interesting that a lot of the stuff that he was putting down into a comic book in 1991 jj abrams was like well yeah that's a good idea let's do this in 2019 so yeah i mean that's a tribute to his legacy right Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. like you these ideas that you put to paper that even they got cast aside in a way as legends material, um, they still persist and they're still out there. The original works are still out there. People can go check them out. Um, and then, like you said, they've, they've pulled a lot of those ideas into the newer material. And uh, mm-hmm. I think that's a, that's a huge credit to his work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's it for the news this week yeah cool all right well uh so book of boba fett and first of all before we get into like i said this retrospective here 
Um, I want to, I have to tell a funny story. So I sent Leslie a message on Twitter. Just, I said, Oh, you got it. You've got to see this. And it was the, that, uh, yub yub song, you know, the, of the, the Nickelback guitarist or whatever, you know, doing, you know, the, with, on the acoustic guitar. And then it was like about five minutes later, she hasn't replied back, but it was like, you know, she's been dealing with Muse's stuff, but about five minutes later, I realized, Oh crap! She probably doesn't know what yub yub is. She probably just thought, "What, what is he sending me this for?" So then I was like, and then I said that I was like, "Oh, you probably wondered what the heck I'm talking about." I said, "Here's how Jedi really ended," and that got me thinking. It's like, I mean, we had the opportunity. This is a person. There, there's a whole. I mean, you talk about special editions. You know, little things change, but that's a big change. That that is a huge conversation between generations of Star Wars fans. It's like you're either pro yub yub or you're you know pro the change you know where yub yub doesn't exist um i just found that very fascinating um the other part of the conversation that i really dug um was when i asked her about you know padme's character and to have to have the female voice on our show say that's what happens when you're in a toxic abusive relationship was like it right okay yep you're absolutely right you're absolutely right and so now was that george's intent i don't know but um it was it was really cool to get that perspective and that very honest perspective i i agree with you 100 percent. and uh, i actually had um one of our former guests uh reach out to me uh chuck who uh, came on to talk about Legos and Lego uh-huh. collecting and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, really good guy. Um, he said he listened and just like blown away because um, not only that, offering that kind of perspective, but just the fact that we had somebody from an LBGTQ perspective on um, and just sort of a, offer their perspective of Star Wars just from a very... Um, global sense was like really impactful for him as well um and we didn't even really like go down that road very much because there's just not very much in star wars um still uh there's like the i saw a tweet the other day where somebody was talking about the the one kiss mm-hmm. at the end of rise of skywalker and it's just I like yeah, it's just like tacked on. It's over here, and they, they cut away from it in like a second and a half. And somebody was like, "I love the juxtaposition of this kiss." And then you've got the weird worm guy engineer, <laughs> <laughs> and like he's just like looking at it. <laughs> and uh, uh, now I'm gonna get somebody coming at me with the the name of the guy. I forget. Or, or, or actually, it's Claude. Was it? It's Claude. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, Actually, they're they might be non-binary. That that I I've seen people refer to that um, character as a they. So, um, yeah, you know, it's just it's just kind of funny because like this is this is the extent. This is like the only little tiny olive branch they've been extended at this point. Um, but it's it it raises to mind questions like, is that why Luke is? like offensive and creepy <laughs> you know 
because she really didn't like Luke. You know, that was that was an, another interesting that was, that takeaway. Was, that was incredibly interesting. It's like she, yeah. yeah, didn't want anything to do with Luke Skywalker. And um, and again, that's just it. Maybe maybe we would feel the same way if we saw Star Wars for the first time. You know, now rather than growing up with being told that he is the hero. Now, um, but I think it, I think what she what she was saying also um, adds credence to what we've been talking about that he is not a perfect character. No, and and in some ways, really, I think he the... really is. He really is the the Peter of you know of the star Wars universe. And by that, I mean, you know, Peter was the, the flawed apostle who, you know, really wanted to, you know, be Jesus's right hand man, but was, you know, denying him and was beating people up. And he just, he, you know, he, so, um, he, but Luke's a flawed no, character. Sorry, Fredo, go ahead. No, 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 no. I, it's, it's, it's a silent point. And I think it highlighted for me just how, uh, look, we always, speak for and champion not just representation in front of the camera but behind the camera the people making the movies writing the movies conjuring up these fantastical worlds because if you only see it from the perspective of somebody like george lucas it, it's going to be it might be great it might be fun but he's coming at it from his point of view he can only give you what he sees and sometimes that's that can be very reductive that can be very limited you know you hope that in the in the creation process, there's other perspective and other viewpoints that can go, yeah, ah, George, ah, maybe this is not the way to go. Or now to the other directors and other writers, you you do want to get that because if you only get a bunch of guys coming up with a movie, they're only going to come up with a movie that they want to see. And, and that might be fun, that might be interesting, but it, it's also going to feel quite limited. And I think that's kind of the, one of the biggest takeaways that I have from last week is just, yeah, I mean, you sometimes have to get out of your own way and start seeing this story from other people's points of view because it may not resonate the same way to them because they're not coming at it from a different perspective. So, Book of Boba Fett. Since the last episode, have has any of you, uh, either of you, uh, watched the entire series? No. Not yet. No, I, I, I tried, I started, and I stopped. And I think that says something. I think that says something. Um, I, I'm going to start because what we're wanting to talk about is, you know, just thinking about the the whole series as a whole. Uh, by no means did I not like it. I enjoyed it. Um, but we're going to talk criticisms, the expectations of uh, how getting multiple shows a year might shift our demands. And um, but I just want to talk. At, I want to kind of look at each episode just I'm just going to run through what each episode was about but I'm going to say I think I enjoyed Boba Fett more in the episodes of The Mandalorian season 2 than I enjoyed all of this series. Um it's in some ways to me uh Boba Fett worked best in a similar Boba Fett's the Star Wars what Wolverine is to the X-Men. He works best as a mystery character. It's a weird ACT as... question. <laughs> <laughs> no, what, I mean to, what I mean to say is he works at his best when there's an air of mystery, that there's some stuff you're just not going to know, that it might be dark, it might be mysterious, it might be dangerous, but you don't know it. 
Because the moment you start pulling the curtain, you start showing and telling people their backstory, you go, Oh, but, he's a character. He's but just that's not any other character. But that's not ultimately that's not my criticism. My criticism is just how kind of disjointed the whole thing was. It's like let's either let's have season if let's do two seasons. Let's have the first season be about my time with the Tuscans, and season two be my time as Mos Espa, um, crime boss. Yeah, crime boss because. It, it it did get to the point where you're like, where are we? What's going on? Where What's the timeline here? Spending two thirds plus of an episode in a flashback. And then all of a sudden you're back in Mos Espa and you're trying to figure out how does this relate to what's going on? Um, so I think they had a good idea that was poorly executed. I play a little bit of devil's advocate. Go for it. Um, firstly, if we didn't rewatch it, it was because we all rewatched it every week during the entire run when we were doing this show. So I was like, "That's enough for me personally." I was like, "I've seen I've seen each episode twice. Uh, I'm good, you know." Even with Mandalorian, it's like every now and then I'll put it on or I'll, I'll pick an episode, but um, it's not. It, I've seen every episode twice. I'm pretty good to go. So that, that that's one thing. The other thing I'll say is that my favorite episodes of The Mandalorian had Boba Fett in them. And my favorite episodes of Boba Fett had The Mandalorian in them. I think they work really well together. And... I, I might just leave that out in the ether for people to sort of like marinate on. Um, but there's only so much son, dad, fun interactions you can do over time before you need to mix it up a little bit. Um, he has a lot of adult interactions over the court. He gets into adventures. We know the wandering samurai motif. Um, but, uh, I think it's kind of good for Mando to have this character to bounce off of. Uh, and I appreciate, I appreciate very much that he got brought into the series for that reason. Mm-hmm. So I was going to say, oh, go ahead, Fredo, go ahead. No, I'm just going to say, uh, I agree with you Aaron, about the disjointed nature of it, because I think in retrospect, Maybe it would have been better, and I kind of said it. So maybe it would have been better if they had just given us the backstory with the Tuscans in the first chapter, because I felt like in some ways they really shortchanged the story within Mos Espa of him trying to build his crime family. He just time. there's a couple of Gamorrean there's a couple of Gamorrean guards. He's bringing Fennec Shan. He you know survives the attack from um, from uh, Black Crescent and uh, that the huts. You know, you build up the idea up in chapter two that the huts are going to be a big uh, threat to him. And by episode three, they're gone, dropping off a rancor with uh, Danny Trejo along the way. Uh, the, you get the biker gang in chapter three or four, I think. You know, well, that's pretty much it. You know, you really don't get a whole lot of what is he trying to do? What's the purpose? You know, his, I wish we got more of him and Fennec plotting and scheming and trying to, you know, outduel and outdo the pikes and everybody. All right, so let's, and I feel like that got shortchanged. So, so let's do this real quick. I'm going to run down the just the titles of each chapter, and then I'll ask a question. 
But chapter one, Stranger in a Strange Land, that's where we see him escape from the Sarlacc pit and how he, you know, then gets to the Tuscans. Um, chapter two, The Tribes of Tatooine. Chapter three, The Vespas of Mos Espa. I mean, The Streets of Mos Espa. Um, chapter four, The Gathering Storm. Um, that's when he tries to get, get the fire spray gunship from Jabba's palace. Um, chapter five, the return of the Mandalorian chapter six from the desert comes a stranger. That's when we see Cad Bane and then chapter seven, finally in the name of honor. So to Fredo's point, what was the overall thesis or main point of these seven episodes? What, what, what do you think? the creators were ultimately trying to get across to us people can change i think that was the idea like that was the goal the the number one overarching goal because um we talked about it with uh boba fett being this sort of maskless husk other than his villainy uh we had no context for the character and even through, throughout parts of the Mandalorian, throughout parts of this series, and this was this question. I was like, is he still kind of, for lack of a better term, a turd? Um, and I don't know that we got a definitive answer to the question, but like they did try to show us that this person has changed over time. And like, how would that change come about? Why would you turn over a new leaf? Why would any person turn over a new leaf? Um, and they kind of cut into those kinds of questions. Um, again, I think we can debate the effectiveness of um, the story that they told in that regard. But I think, at least for me, when I look at it as a whole, that's like the biggest thing that jumps out at me. Um, like, people can change. And that's an important thing to, to realize when we're out here trying to pick sides and we're trying to make people into our enemies constantly because of political rhetoric, um, because of differences in opinion, because of borders and border disputes, as we're seeing now and in another part of the world. Um, people are... <laughs> it's like I saw... Um, the Muppets, um, the Muppets take Manhattan recently. I watched that with my kids because it was on HBO. I was like, this is not on Disney. All, most of the other Muppet stuff is on Disney, but the Muppets take Manhattan is not. And it's like, and then it just like popped up magically. I was like, we have to watch this now because I don't know if we'll get another chance to watch this movie. This is one of the things that the character says. I don't know if you remember the, the restaurant owner. People's is people's. You know, he says that like over and over and over in the movie. And it's, it's kind of touching and hilarious. Um, but yeah, you know, it's people's are people's. You know, so, we, we don't need to demonize anyone. So I accept your, I accept, I, I'd accept that as a, a, a good premise. I mean, you know, the, the thesis, you know, like um, turning over a new leaf, people can change. But then the criticism is then those two episodes that were your favorite really have zero to only 10% to do with that overall story. It's 
it's kind of like the, you know, the, what is it? Um, is it Van Halen's diver down that the last track is happy trails? You know, I mean, it's okay. That's wonderful, but that why, you know, it's funny that Van Halen did happy trails and it's, you know, I remember my brother saying, mom, you're going to listen to this heavy metal group and you're going to do it heavy metal. This, this rock group, Van Halen, here we go. Listen to this. And it's boom, buddy, boom, but you know, and it was, it was good and it was fun for a laugh and it, but at the end of the day, what has that done to, to move along Van Halen's, you know, you know, stance in rock history. So while those two episodes of the Mandalorian and Luke Skywalker playing with Grogu and everything, while awesome as it was, then if, if they're, why would, why do those episodes have to be there? We could have brought in the Mandalorian at any point in any way. So while I agree with you, it's not really a question. Mm-hmm. I agree with your premise, yeah. but I think that's where my argument of the execution failed um, mm-hmm. in some respects is that it was like somebody in the room's like, yeah, but, but we, this guy over here, we just hired from you, you know, his deep fake stuff. And he's got Luke Skywalker looking really good. We got to put that in. It's like Van Halen sewing. We got it. We got to put in happy trails. You know, I mean, like some of that is fair. But I also feel like if we're talking about um, including the Mandalorian, um, we talked about how his character in particular seemed to be regressing at times because he wasn't uh, around Grogu. Um, And I feel like that's a decent juxtaposition. That's that's definitely a good argument for including him. Yeah. Um, But... And you needed to develop that. You need to show that properly. But again, did they go overboard with that? Probably. See, and that's the thing. Why that, did they go overboard with that? People love those characters and they want to see more. And that's the thing that, that concerned me when we were talking about wanting to see the Mandalorian in the book of Boba Fett. Uh, it reminded me when I was a young band director and I'd go to convention and, you know, all the young band directors went to, you know, if, if, if one of the college band directors came to you and was like, hey, Aaron, how's it going? It was like, wow, this is, you know, really cool. And so like one of the, you know, they, they know who I am. They know what I'm doing here. You know, I'm getting a little bit of attention paid. And it was so one of the band directors from a bigger high school came up. Hey, Aaron, how's it going? I'm like, oh, good. What are you doing? And what, what kind of stuff are you playing? Well, I'm playing this, playing some Percy Granger. And then I see out of the corner of my eye, the college band director come into the room. And this guy who I was talking to just totally turns his face away from me and starts paying attention to that college band director. And then, and I'm like, and you don't care. And he went off to talk to this other, the more important guy. So my point being is like by bringing in the Mandalorian, everybody's like, Oh, there's the guy that we miss. That's the one I like. I don't know who this guy is. I like this guy here and I want to watch him. And these episodes are awesome. And, you know, and I'm not making fun of you, Dave. Um, but you know, it's, but he hits that shiny object that, you know, that does it, it distracted from the book of Boba Fett. And I think it goes in some ways towards the reality that for many of the newer and current Star Wars fans, they know the Mandalorian because we've had two years with two seasons of the show. They know Din Djarin, they know Grogu, they're aware of them. This Boba Fett was a brand new, in some ways, character because even though they've seen him, you know, if you've done the, done the homework, you saw him in Attack of the Clones, you saw him in Clone Wars, 
you were somewhat aware, you know, some of the original trilogy, his actions, the way he was behaving, the way he was acting was, and we heard his criticism, oh, this is not the same Boba Fett that we saw in Empire that they saw in the comic books. So to a lot of people, this was a new character that they were coming to know. And they're like, I don't necessarily like him or dig him, but they know Din Djarin and they know they like him. So the moment he shows up, they're like, yeah, right. we're, getting, we're back on, on safe ground. Fair point. So does that mean that when the Andor series comes on that we're going to see little Din Djarin come into because that's what people recognize? Is that what we're going to do in Disney Plus shows that, you know, because I guarantee you that about the same amount of people that didn't know who Boba Fett was are going to be, they don't know who Cassie and Andor is. And so are we going to just have those couple episodes in there where we throw in some, I mean, we were, we were talking about our hopes of characters, but do you put in this, these characters to, and that's the thing is I want it to propel a story. And I didn't feel that Din propelled Boba Fett's story. If well, anything, like said, we, we propelled Din Djarin's story, but we did not propel Boba Fett's story. Well, he's a bit of a reflection, and he's used in that way. And to my point earlier, I think uh, he serves a good purpose being here. Um, if only, like, again, if only you're doing it to get interaction between those two characters, it's a good decision to have him in there for that reason. Um and but add on top of that the fact that you've got Din struggling, right, to find himself and figure out who he is without his little green friend uh, tagging along. I think like that's a really good um, sort of cross point uh, frame of reference to look at Boba Fett on his journey. It's like, well, yeah, he's sort of trying to figure out his path too. So like that's a those those two points justify having him there i think you could when you talk about like the the way that it was implemented i think like any critique at that point becomes fair because it's like they did go crazy off the rails they did give us all this din stuff i mean it was it was a lot and it really a lot of it did not have anything to do with the main story so so what they what they should have done is should have just called this mandalorian season three started with episodes five and six is that when yeah Mm -hmm. the return of the mandalorian and then do the luke skywalker thing um and then he makes his way to tatooine and you start you know you know hey boba fett needs your help why does boba fett need my help and then we can get into the boba fett stuff and you could have had more mandalorian I, I, th- I think, again, just on execution stage, it, they don't call it the Book of Boba Fett. You know, it's okay, like, so. it's, it's you know, don't don't call yourself an Irish band if all you're going to play is, you know, um, contemporary pop music. You know, it's like, just call it Mandalorian Season 3. And I think then and you could sprinkle in more of Din's story and it would have made a whole hell of a lot more sense. But do you think that because of the, I mean, look, seasons one and two of The Mandalorian were all about then finding Grogu and trying to deliver him to a Jedi to find him, his tribe, quote unquote. Do you think that having accomplished and completed that journey at the end of Mandalorian season two, that then to start season three of Mandalorian going like, 
we're going right back. We're turning it up right back around. We're we're doing away. That doesn't work because we these two characters got to be together. Do you think it would have worked well, or do you think that because we didn't get that in Mandalorian season two, we got it in the book of Boba Fett? So we were all focused Boba Fett, Boba Fett, Boba Fett, and then when they swerved us and took us into Mandalorian season two point five, that we were more willing to accept that time had passed that this did need to happen, that we're more accepting of it as opposed to I think, just, yeah, I think oh, we're just going to undo everything we just saw? I think it, I think it would have worked, but I think it would have worked better because what they could have done is, like I said, done the episode five, and then they could have done another episode after that where Din's on his own, and then you have episode six where he goes and plays with Luke. You know, so, um, you know, my my thought of what I thought they were getting trying to get across is this idea of family and belonging. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that respect, I think that as disjointed as they are, each episode is about who you belong to, who your loyalties are to, you know, that I, I, I think that I think that tracks it's it, you're taken off into you know, um, happy trails land when you go with the Mandalorian to see Luke and Grogu and Ahsoka. But there's still that, that those, all those conversations were about, you know, where one belongs. And so I think, I think it works in that respect. Um, again, the execution is sloppy, but it's, um, so that's kind of my take on it. And I could go with that, I, but though I would, I, I guess I would say that I think the the rebirth nation uh, notion behind yeah. um, Boba Fett is is central to that. Like, like, well, how is he reborn? He's reborn into a family man, <laughs> um, a person who finds a tribe and finds a family in that, and then adopts these random characters after the fact. Like, I'm going to. I'm going to rescue you and I'm going to help you out and I'm going to adopt you essentially. Um, and, and, and so that's sort of the prism through which he redefines himself. I think one of our, it was, I think it was um, one of our um, regular listeners mentioned the, the Sarlacc pit being yeah. a metaphorical, literal, very clearly yeah. of, a rebirth where he crawls out, you know, like, what does that Sarlacc look like? Well, it doesn't take a lot of imagination. So Q Max um, Rebo in the desert. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, I mean like clearly that's a story that they're trying to tell. And I think like the family stuff fits, fits into that perfectly because that's who he's changed himself into. That's who he's decided he wants to be. Um, so, Here's a here's the thing that is kind of driving me crazy. It seems to be a trend now with Star Wars is that the they have they create these characters that have some pretty big names behind them, aka Maz Kanata, Lupita Nyong'o. That did I pronounce her name correctly? Anyway, mm-hmm. um, um, Jennifer Beals, whatever her character was named in at the uh, the sanctuary. Uh, and it's like you start going, wow, this is a really uh, there. It's obvious there's some stuff behind this character, and then nah, never mind. And in Maz Kanata's case, she just gets kind of shoved off to the side, and Jennifer Beale's case, she gets blown to pieces, presumably. Um, 
you know, if you're going to do that with a character, why not just hire your uncle Phil to, you know, you know what I mean? Because why else would you, why else would you give somebody with a recognizable face and name, you know, that much spotlight just to kill him off? And I guess Alec Guinness wants to talk. He's on the phone. Um, but anyway. No, I think, I mean, they do it because they want you to recognize that this is an important character. I mean, Jennifer Beals is a recognizable actress. Lupita Nyong'o is a recognizable actress. They want to get that name there. The difficulty here is, and this is what goes back to your argument regarding execution, had they executed it better, the fact that Jennifer Beals' character, whom, what's her name again? Don't Do you know. remember her name? Don't know. Exactly. Yeah. You would think she's somebody who should have been focused on as an early ally of Boba Fett in his quest, and who should have been far more involved in the fact that the Pikes take her out in order for us to feel the fact that when the final battle happens, that Boba Fett's standing amidst the ruins of her club, her spot in the city, and defending it from the people who destroyed it. But again, execution didn't happen properly, so we can't even recall her name, never mind. They think about how important she was. So, and that, yeah, I mean, that gets to the point of maybe, you know, if you, your point earlier, Fredo, that if we wouldn't have done so much flashback or, or just kind of put the flashbacks into one or two episodes and then spend time in Mos Espa, that character could have been fleshed out a little bit more. Um, you know, it's, you, you have a finite amount of time, but how you use those chunks of time and arrange them, you know, can actually free up a lot of creative space. They may not have wanted to either though. Like that's true. Her, like her point, the, her point as a character was to get blown up. So like, I think, why do you cast, then why do you cast a famous actor? And then well, to as the redirect, that's a classic movie trick. We're going to put cast somebody famous in this role and off them to sort of surprise you. Right. Sure. Like I can think about scream with Drew Barrymore and there's probably a gazillion other examples of that. So um, I think that's the rationale there, but by the same token, it's like when these, when we're doing these shows, you're like, Oh, I like that character a lot. Oh gosh. Now I don't get to see more of that character. That's frustrating. So because your alarm went off, here's my, my, I guess my last uh, question to you, knowing that we have, look, we, we talked about Andor being created and Andor season two going to be shooting. Apparently rumor has it, you know, soon. If you could give, after seeing Mandalorian season one, Mandalorian season two, Book of Boba Fett, um, am I missing anything? No. Um, after seeing those, what is one word of advice that you would give the creators of the next Star Wars show? It's a big film. I guess, I guess for me, I would say keep your eye on the ball. You know, keep... It's like um, start with the end in mind. I would say be willing to take some risks. It's interesting, you know, uh, of all the various Disney Plus shows besides Mandalorian, I think the one that those took the most risk was WandaVision. And we saw how people reacted to it. Like they were not just using the uh, uh, streaming as a, as a mechanism for delivery. They were actually using the medium of television as a mechanism for to tell their story. 
you know, mm-hmm. for the various you know, sitcom motifs and concepts that they played around to start to kind of wrap around to the idea of trauma. So if you're going to be making a show, you know, yes, give us the droids, give us the laser swords, give us the, the blasters, give us the action. We want to see that. But be willing to take a risk to kind of, you know, be unique and different and not just be like, okay, we're just giving you the next cookie in the in the line of cookies you're going to get. So as they said in Mighty Ducks 3, be careful or don't be careless, but don't be too careful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dave, what's a, what's a word of advice that you would give if asked? Surprise me. Bring me something that we haven't seen. I mean, I know that um, the Mandalorian appealed in a lot of respects because um, I think the Lone Wolf and Cub story has been done, but it hasn't been done a lot in mainstream media. Um, so it was kind of appealing on that level. Just like, oh, this is something that's not overly familiar to me. Um, Boba Fett sort of devolved into a just an action spectacular, which was cool. I liked it, but um, and they tried they tried things, and and the, when they were doing weird crap, it was when I liked it the most. Um, frog lady yeah yeah well you know frog lady in the back of the mandalorian and then like this this uh the <laughs> clash of the titans beast in the desert you know it's like you know these kinds of things it's like yes that's that's weird i love it because it's like it's star wars be weird it's like you don't have to like be careful or try to base it in reality it's freaking star wars Go wild. And I will add to that just simply because, you know, compared to something like Lord of the Rings or something, there's not a whole slew of lore or lore nerds that are dying for you to say, oh my God, I can't believe you're putting these two characters together. They've been separated by thousands of years. I can't believe you're doing this. You got free reign. You can go nuts. You can go crazy. You can go wild with what you want to invent for these shows. So, mm, can you though? Then maybe that <laughs> maybe that's a topic for another episode. Can you? I know you want, but can you? I think maybe we'll leave that I'll as a rhetorical more. question. Um, but uh, yeah, so like I said, I did. I don't dislike it. I mean, and again, Star Wars is like pizza. You know, mm-hmm. there really is no bad pizza. There isn't. There's different types of pizza, and there maybe you, maybe you wanted to, you know, a certain you know brand on a certain day, but it's still pizza. Um, so, but I think we should talk about that in a future episode. Of you know, yeah, you want them to take chances, but do you really want them to? And what do you mean by that? And do and are and are we, um, or should I say, you guys? Because I I want them. I'm like, uh, don't be. Don't be too careful, but don't be careless. I'm I'm the Mighty Ducks three over here, um, so I don't I don't mind taking a little bit of risk, but um, you know, I think we should talk about that. I think we should talk about that in another episode. So um, I have one more thing to, to go for it. Postscript. I would just want to say it's interesting because, like earlier in the news, we talked about Andor and this apparent leak that there's going to be a season two. Uh, We have not heard anything about a season two for 
Book of Boba Fett. It's because Book of Boba Fett didn't exist. It... These aren't the droids you're looking for. These aren't the droids we're looking for. It was season. It was Mandalorian season two, or season three, and so and actually Mandalorian season three is going to be Mandalorian season four. Um, so they just and that's what's going to happen is because it's going to turn. It's going to be like way back in the day when it was Star Wars, and then it became everybody called it a New Hope. So that's what's going to happen. It's going to be called. Man, they're just going to change it. So, usually, when a series is considered successful by the higher ups, they pretty much green light some kind of sequel or second season right away. Um, and they haven't done that. And so, I just wanted to put that fact out into yeah. the ether. So, that's where we're at. Cool. All right. Well, guys, we got big weekend here. Tis Mardi Gras. The hall, the hall is coming, and uh, so I got sunburned and caught some beads and drank some beer and had fun amongst friends and stuff. Uh, and uh, thank God, still feeling okie doke. So um, yeah, I guess we will uh, we'll see what happens when we come out the other side. But uh, it is Mardi Gras. It was kind of it was. Got to admit, it was kind of nice to see a float go down the street and a marching band and people in costume and people selling blinky stuff. Yeah. It was all fun. Yeah. So to everybody out there, be safe. You don't have to be amongst the humanity. You can watch a parade from, you know, further back on the neutral ground. Um, you can find a place on the route that you're not going to be snotting over everybody or getting snotted on. So keep your friends safe. Um, but everybody have a great Mardi Gras and uh, we'll see you I, I don't, when, we're probably not going to record next Tuesday because that's Mardi Gras day <laughs> so next episode will be coming out sometime next week uh, but until then we will say who dat who dat and everybody have a happy Mardi Gras my monkey